We're talking about doubt. If you have your Bibles, let's go. Matthew chapter 14 as we continue uh, our searching. I'm uh, preaching to you on doubt from the Bible, which is basically a chronicle of man's doubts and God overcoming them through faith uh, in him. Uh, uh, I was uh, 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 texted this week by a friend of mine, his wife, uh, this friend's in my life group, his wife and I are friends as well, and so Don and Josh texted me this photo from their vacation in West Virginia. Uh, it's, uh, someone said, I was here, and then someone was like, I doubt it. Anyway, uh, and that's us, right? We love to doubt, that's who we are as a people. Uh, It's who we are as humans, and uh, we're talking about it because uh, doubt is a part of faith. Uh, I made a couple assertions last week, more than just a couple, but a couple that I want to revisit are these. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Doubt is a part of faith. You're going to have questions as you seek to follow God. It's just part of, of wrestling with the unknown. All of us do it. And uh, I always like to think of the unknown as, uh, unknown as a coin. Let me see if I got one here. There's a family in our church who gave, uh, gave uh, me some silver dollars. Thank you, Julian Neal. But uh, uh, they gave me this one, and I've actually uh, scrawled some letters on it. I know you can't see it, so I put pictures up on the screens. Can everybody see? I put uh, the letter uh, D on one side, and on the flip side, I put the letter F. D for doubt, F for faith. And I don't go around life flipping my coin as to which one I'm going to choose in any particular situation. Uh, But it is, to me, just a reminder that doubt and faith inhabit the same space. They're on the same coin. They're just two different choices when it comes to the unknown. Doubt is the pessimistic, negative reaction to the questions that we don't understand. That can't be, right? And faith is the positive, optimistic reaction to those same questions. Could be. Neither option is ironclad. Can't be proven. Just so you know, even the people who claim that they don't have faith are having faith that they don't have faith. Does everybody get me on that? I mean, it's kind of circular and gets weird. But everybody, because everybody's human, everybody is without the answers. We are all starting from the same spots, and we choose what to do with the unknown, faith or doubt. They're choices that we make. Our, our factory settings, certainly, are doubt. We are skeptical, us humans. Anybody with me? Uh, We just would prefer to see for ourselves before we we choose to trust. Uh, But we talked about this last week as well. Even though doubt's a part of faith, and um, uh, it can be a difficult part of faith, it's often the road, doubt is often the road that we walk in making our faith stronger. As we talk today, you've got to go through some storms to realize that God can get you through them and on the other side of them in life. Doubts can be difficult. Isn't that, isn't that true? Have you had them? Uh, maybe you know someone uh, uh, who has them uh, that you love, and it's just hard. Our family's walking through them with uh, the, our kids and just trying to you know, help uh, my children understand some of the things that we believe and, and being patient in that process. It's hard. Doubts are difficult. I would prefer them not. It can be painful, even costly. Decisions can get made that are hard to undo, right? But here's my hope for us as a church. So we'll understand. Even where we lack answers, even where we can't, through the force of our will and the, and, and the amount of our prayers, change the minds of those that we love, even overcome the difficulties that we face in doubt, we can persevere, even through the darkest of days, 
the toughest of questions. And if we do so, we arrive at a place of stronger faith. It's not like, it's not unlike going to the gym. I, I've talked about this before, uh, but when I was about uh, 24 years old, I started going to work out at the gym and I said, you know what, I need a goal. And so I decided I was gonna bench 350 pounds, which at the time was double my weight, no longer so, okay? Uh, so I said, you know, that's a good, that's a good goal. And so uh, I remember on the first day, I was like, I wonder how close I am to doing it. And so I had my buddy spot me and I put three plates on either side of this bar. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And, and, and so I'm, I'm like, all right, let's see how this goes. And the, and the bar came down on my chest and he says, all right, go. And I was like, I am. And it was not moving. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, please get help. This is going to crush my sternum. Yeah. Uh, and, and so another guy had to come and rescue these two guys, pick up this weight. And I was like, well, guess I'm not ready to bench 350 pounds. But you know what I did? I kept going to the gym. I started with the bar and whatever I could you know, do as far as weight. And I just kept progressing. Uh, the, the pain of that progress was evident every next day. If you've ever worked out, your muscles hurt. Uh, but that's a good sign. If those tissues are torn and healing, they're growing. To the point where eventually, I don't know how long it took me, probably just a few days. But uh, uh, <laughs> eventually I got to the point where I had my, my friends come and, and spot me again. I said, let's go and see this. And I, I took that 350 pounds and I did it once. And my buddy said, that was pretty strong. And I was like, yeah, it was. He says, why don't you try another one? I did it twice, thrice, force. I don't know what that one is. Uh, I, I benched 350 pounds five times the first time I tried to do it. Nothing? Okay. Uh, thank you. No, no, too late is the answer there. That's impressive. Thank you, babe. That's my wife over there. No, it's too, you guys are too late, but I'll take it from you. How is that possible? Lots of trips to the gym. Lots of exercise. Putting in the reps. That's what faith does. As we uh, head to the gym that is life and persevere under the weight that life brings, all those doubts, all those questions, they make us stronger. That's what James was talking about when he said, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He could have put it this way. All the doubts and questions and storms you go through, it's making you stronger. Don't hate those moments. They're hard. But by faith, believe that God is deepening and developing you. And press through them. He says in verse four, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. He loves to stack up his adjectives here. Perfect's teleos. It doesn't mean like without error, never you know, failing. It means ready, prepared, lacking nothing for what you'll face next. So be encouraged. God uses doubts. He often proves the doubts that we have to be wrong and propels us forward in life with him. I walked into the kitchen when my, uh, uh, I was a young boy, and my mom was cooking something. It was the worst smell this nose had ever sniffed. And I said, you know, I'm like six, seven years old, mom, what is that? That's liver and onions. Yes, he's exactly right, yes. Ugh. I was like, what, are you gonna eat that? She says, yeah, and she had grown up with my uh, grandparents enjoying liver and onions, more power to you, smelled like death, right? 
I did not. She's like, do you want to try it? I said, no. And from the smell alone, I assumed two things. I don't like liver. I don't like onions. I spent my whole life avoiding onions everywhere I could. Picked them off my burgers whenever they came, right? Until I moved to Texas as a 25-year-old. was introduced to Tex-Mex food. I ordered fajitas for the first time. And I saw the ingredients on the platter that would come out. And I said, well, hold the onions. And my friend who was taking me, he said, really? I said, yeah, onions are gross. And he says, why? He says, well, and then I thought about it. I don't think I've ever tasted an onion. I'd smelled them and was pretty sure I didn't like them. But he says, hey, man, I'm just going to tell you right now, don't do fajitas without the onions. You got you to gotta go ahead and try it. I was like, all right. So he orders the fajitas up. And I, I, I remember, you know, they look slimy like worms, right? You're putting the grilled onions. And I'm like, this is going to be so bad. But I took a bite, and I was like, oh, right? <laughs> grilled onions. Who knew? These things are amazing. I put them in cookies now. They're delicious. <laughs> it's not true. If you're new, that's not true. But be encouraged. God is in the business. Read your Bible. He is in the business of helping men and women get past their doubts and into the good things, the grilled onions of life that we've been missing. Be encouraged, but be prepared. Life's journey is going to have its ups and downs, people. Come on. That's where you say amen. Life's journey is going to have its ups and downs. That's true. Faith will be tripped up by doubt. Sometimes like decimated. But still, if we persevere, God uses our stumbles to feed our faith. Now, Eleanor and I were just talking last night. She goes online and sees these Pinterest, you know, uh, articles and pictures and stuff. She said, hey, have you ever thought about trees and lungs? This is how she starts. And I'm like, what? Trees and lungs. She was looking at an article that talked about how trees and lungs bear similarities. Uh, You guys went to science class. What do trees breathe? Not air, they breathe, come on, Kevin. He's right over there, everybody, he said air. All right, uh, we love you. Uh, oh, the trees be, breathe what we exhale, the carbon dioxide that comes out of our lungs, right? What do we breathe? What the trees release. Okay, I heard you, yeah. Uh, that's, that's what the trees produce. We produce what the trees need, the trees produce what we need. And there's this great symbiotic relationship between us and the fauna. They need what we have. We need what they have. And off we go in life. It's the same with faith and doubt. I mean, even the trees and the lungs, they kind of look the same. Is this picture going to show? I don't know if it'll show. Okay, all right, settle down. Is it right there? Yeah, there it is. Hey, guys are jumpy today. But I hope you pick up what I'm putting down. Faith uses doubt. Doubt propels and compels faith. They can work together if we're patient and allow God to walk us through. So I thought I'd be preaching this uh, series of sermons and giving you all the answers to every doubt you've ever had. Uh, Wouldn't that be great? Who'd show up for that sermon series, right? Here's every question I've ever had, Pastor Mark. Answer it. Perfect. Now I know everything, and I'll go through life in in easy faith. Uh, As I started reading all the things that would answer your questions, you know what I came up with? Doubts. (laughs) 
And I'm like, I don't know if I can answer all these questions. And here's the deal. I may be your pastor until you die or I die, and I may never be able to answer all your questions. You may live this life never putting all the dots together. But by faith, we can know enough and follow the God who has given us life and given us life again. And that's what this is about, working through what we don't understand, to trust in the God who does. So last week we talked about this disciple Thomas. He gets the, um, the reputation or the label as being the doubter. Uh, I want to talk about the real doubter in the 12. You're like, who's that? Uh, it's probably the most faith-filled of the 12 as well. He kind of excelled at both at different times. His name's Peter. And in Matthew 14, we see one of his famous or most famous experiences unfold. Before we get to that, though, let's just kind of you know, recap Peter's life. Uh, his relationship with Jesus was born of doubt. Does anybody remember how they met? Jesus wanted to use his boat to speak to a crowd there on the shores of Galilee, and so Peter's like, fine. He'd had a horrible night fishing. He and his brother had been, you know, skunked. And so uh, they were just kind of, you know, folding up their nets, getting all the tackle put away like some of you do when you go fishing in the bay or whatever. And uh, Jesus was speaking. I don't even know if they were paying attention. Uh, But Jesus turns to Peter, a carpenter from Nazareth, turns to Peter and says, hey, Pete, I notice you don't have a lot of fish in the boat. Uh, Why don't you push your boat back out here around midday, some of you are fishermen, and you're already going like, all right. And, and throw your nets out on the deep side of the uh, water and, and just see what happens. And remember what Peter said? <sighs> Carpenter, that's not how this works. It's not time to fish. The fish aren't there. But he had just this little bit of like a mustard seed. Let's just call it like a mustard seed of faith. And he said, if it'll make you happy, I'll push off. We'll do some fishing. And he had one of the biggest catches of his life. And that's how their story began. Doubt, little bit of faith, reward, and off we go, right? Peter's faith was famous. He was, uh, in a couple chapters from where we're going to be reading today in Matthew 14, he was the first to declare that Jesus was the Christ in Matthew 16. Uh, They're hanging out in... uh, uh, you know, this, this town where these, all these temples and Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they list off all the possibilities and then he looks at him and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps forward, he's like, I, I think you're the Messiah. And Jesus says those words, oh, Pete, on that declaration, uh, on that rock, I will build my church. You and that, that faith is, is where this is gonna go. And Pete was like, all right. Then if you go forward with his story, as famous as he was for his faith, he was villainized for his doubt. Because Thomas had questions, Peter flatly denied even knowing Jesus. Three times as he's having the snot beat out of him by the Roman soldiers in preparation for his crucifixion. You know the story, right? Jesus had predicted it. And Peter had, even in that, denied that he'd do it. And then before the rooster crowed, the third time with some F-bombs, he denied that he knew Jesus. He's all over the map, right? Ups and downs. Hmm. We're going to look at one of his ups 
and one of his downs all in one story today. As we uh, go through life expecting the back and forth of faith and doubt, uh, my hope is this, like Peter, you'll keep your eyes on Jesus. Matthew 14 uh, is just a, a packed day, a story of uh, Jesus finding out early in the morning that his uh, cousin, John the Baptist, who was his, his pastor in baptism, if you want to call him that, uh, uh, he's been murdered by Herod, uh, and, and Jesus is mourning, and so he wants to get away. He tries to leave with his disciples, but the people who are all about Jesus these days, he's the healer, he's the teacher, we got to get some time with that guy. They just chase him around the Sea of Galilee until finally he relents, sets up you know, a, a makeshift preaching place and teaches them all day long. You can read about it if you don't believe me. It's all there in Matthew 14. It, it gives way to one of the great miracles of our Bibles. Jesus tells the disciples, hey, it's time to eat. Go feed these guys. And the, the disciples say, are you crazy? We don't have any food. We didn't eat, we, this wasn't even on the schedule. We didn't have this on our agenda, Jesus. And so we don't have any food for us, let alone 5,000 guys and their families. And if you know the story, one little kid stands up, has five loaves and two fish, and the rest is biblical history. Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? Feeds them so well that there's 12 baskets of leftovers. And so the story ends with these disciples taking their leftovers, right? Each one had a basket, I picture, and they head to this boat, and Jesus, it tells us, immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee as he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. No kidding. It's been a long day. Any introverts in here? Like for my job, I'm extroverted. The older I get, just so you know, I am introverted. Leave me alone. Love you. Leave me alone. When I've had enough, it's time for me to go away. Some people are nodding at me. What's up? Jesus is going away. Uh, it's a time, a hopeful time of respite. He's sending his disciples away. I know it's been hard for you fellas. Take a boat ride. Get away from the crowds. It was one of the only ways it could happen. They were able to leave by boat. But if you know the story, you know what comes happen next, as is often the case. Um, in the times that we hope will be respites come the greatest trials of life. You're just minding your own business, answering email, and then you open the one that lights you up for how you're a failure as a leader. You're just trucking along, serving in, in ministry, trusting that God will... Uh, Continue to sustain the faith of your children and they come home from college and tell you they don't believe anymore. You're just minding your own business, living by faith, and the world comes apart. Doubts roll in like storms and just toss us around, don't they? No respecter of our need for rest. It says in verse 24 that the boat by this time was a long way for land, this, this boat with these 12. And it became uh, so stormy that it was beaten by the waves, like, you know, flipped around and spun around like a, a raft in the rapids, for the wind was against them. Storms come to life. Doubts roll in like storms, and questions arise, questions we can't answer. Situations that seem unfair, hurts that we can't resolve. We talked about those last week. Doubts are so powerful. They often cause the people who are experiencing them to see things that aren't there. 
Love what happens next in the telling of this story in Matthew. At the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. Savior, rescuer. I mean, we skip right over it because we've heard it so many times. We're just like, that's normal. No, it's not. A carpenter from Nazareth is walking on the waves. Uh, Not common. (laughs) To my knowledge, never happened again other than this one time. And so when the disciples see someone walking in the storm on the waves, they've got questions. And they answer them with what had been traditionally their understanding of the seas. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. No, duh. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Not like a ghost, like, you know, Tales from the Crypt, kind of, you know, uh, that kind of ghost. You know, something that we'd see in a modern horror film. Uh, the, 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 The first century Israeli culture believed that the seas were the abyss. That below the surfaces of the water were the mysteries of the spiritual. And they often equated the demons, uh, the, the, the warring gods and deities to have their function under the, under the water. That's why there were so many stories of sea monsters and so much confusion. It was just this unknown place. Most, uh, most Israelis wouldn't get in boats because of that. One, because they were afraid to float. It's because they thought... Uh, the spiritual forces at work beneath the surface would get them. And so they say, it's a phantasma, the Greek word, phantom. <laughs> and he's coming to get us. There's phantoms today in our doubts. Did you know that? Ghosts that we see instead of Jesus. There's the, the phantoms of intellect, right? The smarter we get, the dumber we get. Has anybody noticed that? The more we find out, the more we feel like we've finally proven that there isn't a God. I would submit this to you. The more we find out, the more we find out about the God who is behind all the things that we're finding out. Is everybody getting that? But people who don't want to see him there um, negate his existence and ascribe to all kinds of ideas that would exclude him from their thinking. We've got phantoms of intellect, phantoms of religion. Certainly there's lots of other options than the God of the Bible and his son Jesus Christ. And so people come to us and say, well, what's wrong with Buddha or Allah or anybody else's God? And we have to talk about that. And, and those phantoms can lead people from the one true God. We, we listen to people talk about our God. That's my kids' problems. They read their Bibles. And they're like, hey, I don't get this. And it doesn't work with my math. And because it doesn't work with my mouth and it doesn't support my political leanings and it doesn't have these things, then I'm out on God altogether. That religion and its trimmings can stand in the way. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and so many other writers in the Bibles, in our Bibles, talked to uh, their addressees, uh, saying stuff like this. Tim, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is uh, falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. My experience is that the the phantoms of intellect and the phantoms of problems with religion, uh, they're usually uh, uh, the kind of things that people who don't want to believe in our version of God or who the God uh, of the Bible is is, is professing to be, uh, they would rather not believe, and so they choose these options so they don't have to believe. But then there's some different goats. Goats. How about ghosts? There's some different ghosts for those who sincerely want to believe. And because of these ghosts, just can't. 
I'm talking about the phantoms of disappointment. Uh, The landscape is littered with people who used to believe, but they've been disappointed by some experience in the church. We understand this. People have one bad experience, and then they're out on the entire thing. Like, I'm getting on a plane in about four hours, all right? Literally. Uh, I got to hustle after last service. But uh, uh, I'm getting on a plane, and I am happy to take it to where it's taking me so that I can spend a week with some friends and hang out. Um, But I have friends on the same trip that I'm going on who will never get on a plane again. Why? Because I got on that one plane that did all of this the whole way it was flying to wherever it was going. Didn't come down, thankfully, but that was it for my buddy. Never getting on one of those again. Had one bad experience and the entire uh, air flight industry is off his map, right? And that's what happens with people in the church. And if that's you, thanks for having the courage to come back and try again. But if you know someone like that who had this one Christian disappointment and thought, well, this one Christian disappointed me, he was a hypocrite, so every Christian's a hypocrite, which is kind of true, but every Christian's going to hurt me, therefore I'm out on Christians altogether, I'm like, wow, really? That one bad experience, that one question that you can't answer causes you not to trust anything. Storms come and they make us see ghosts. They bring confusion. So as we close today, let me give you some good news and then some more good news and then some bad news and then the best news. Everybody got that? I'll give you some good news and then some more good news, but then some bad news. But we'll finish with the best news and then we'll all go home. Here's the good news. When it comes to doubts and the storms that we find ourselves in because of them, Jesus is with us. Just like he was with uh, Peter here in this storm. The disciples are, you know, afraid for their lives. Now they've seen this person walking on the water that they think is a ghost, and they're like, oh, no, this is the end. And Jesus cries out to them in Matthew 14, 27. He says, "Uh, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, in in, in your storm, in your doubt, if it's going on right now, in the the storms of those that you love, uh, Jesus is coming to them, to you, With these words, take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. The word there, take heart, is the Greek word tharseo. It's from whence we get our English word catharsis. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but a catharsis is when there's like uh, all of a sudden something realized and there's a release of tension. Uh, uh, There's a, a tranquility that comes in where there's been stress and defeat. Jesus says tharseo. It means take courage, take heart. He says, it's me. He affirms his identity. They hear his voice. It's the same guy who sent them out on this crazy trip. He says, it's me. And that familiarity with who he is would have had a calming effect immediately on his friends. I was talking to uh, my buddy Steve. He's worked here for 20 years. He does our maintenance. He's an amazing guy. He was telling me a story the other day about how in the early years, he'd have to come up here at 10 o'clock after all the ministries of our church had been done, and he'd have to lock all of our buildings, set the alarms, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's kind of a freaky thing to do at night. I don't know how you are. So he would bring his dogs. He had two dogs, Samson and Delilah, Sam and Dee, and uh, they were big dogs, like 100-pounders, whatever breed, whatever mix, but they were massive animals. And so he'd walk the halls of our church with these two dogs for protection, good on them. Who's with me? Everybody with me? 
So he's in the, he's in the hallway back here, uh, shutting down this building uh, one night, and uh, he hears from another office this voice. Somebody? Roger Kohler, one of our employees from back in the day, had been working late, had come out of his office to find Delilah, a hundred-pound animal, uh, growling uh, vociferously at him uh, and in a threatening way. Like he was, this, this dog, this girl, this, it was about to attack him, and, and he hadn't seen the dog. He's like, how did you get in here? Are you some kind of ninja dog? Have you been sent on a mission to kill me? What is going on? And so he did what only he knew to do. Somebody, I hope an owner is here. Is there? And Steve rounds the corner and he says, D. And D heals and comes back to where he was and Roger was saved. And it was that voice of the familiar that set Roger at ease. Jesus says, it's me. The one who you've seen just recently feed 5,000 people off of two loaves, or two fish and five loaves. I got this. And that's what he says in the finish there. He says, um, uh, do not be afraid. He uses the word phobeo, from which we get phobia. Don't have fear. This isn't a time for here. I'm here. I'll take care of this. You can face your doubts and face this storm. Look past the ghost that you think you see. Take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. It's like every time I go to Home Depot, I walk in there and it's well chronicled, I am not handy. I've gone online to figure out what I need, but I don't know what a flange is. And so I walk in there looking for Tony with the orange apron. And I'm just wandering these aisles because it's massive, this labyrinth of stuff at Home Depot. And then he rounds the corner and he says, Tharseo. Take courage, Mark. It's me, Tony. (laughs) Don't be afraid. And he takes me to the flanges. And I take them home and break what I'm trying to fix. (laughs) That's the good news. Jesus shows up in our storms. Let me give you some more good dooms. And I've already kind of referred to it. But God uses storms to produce in us a deeper faith. Don't miss this. It's in the middle of a storm that Peter walks on water. It's in a situation that would have never occurred, probably, we can assume, otherwise, that that Peter becomes the only human who was not the son of God to walk on the surface of water. It's in this moment that Pete gets another A for his faith. Now, he still has questions. Look at how he verbalizes this. In verse 28, he says, Lord, if, everybody see the if there? I'm not sure. I mean, you say take courage. You say it's you. You say don't be afraid. But if it's really you, then reward my faith. Command me to come out in this water and let's dance. So Jesus, seeing this faith from his friend, says, yeah, man, come on. Let's go. And Pete gets out of a boat in a storm and walks on water with Jesus. God is in the business of taking our hardest times and using them for our good and his glory. If we'll just trust and obey, if we'll have just a little bit of faith, he'll see us through. Can I give you the bad news? 
even in these deeper faith moments, doubt can just arrive. And that's what we see happen in Pete's life. For all you varsity Christians out here who think, yeah, Mark, good sermon for someone else. This will never be a problem with me. Look at me. Everybody look at me. There is no Christian on earth who has ever experienced the high of the high that Pete's on right now. He is walking on water with the Son of God. And in this scenario, the storm still encroaches and pulls him away. I've served under uh, four pastors uh, in my lifetime. Three of them quit. Just stopped, not believing entirely in Jesus, but certainly stopped serving him in ministry. One of them committed suicide. Uh, One of them was my dad, had to quit. Because uh, the other side of his life caught up to this side of his life. Don't ever think that you can become so Christian that you're impervious to the doubts. It'll be your downfall if you do. Live in faith. Live expecting the storm. You know the story. Pete gets out of the boat, hanging out with Jesus, but then he saw the wind. It's really kind of an interesting thing here. He didn't see the wind. He saw the effects of the wind. It's the same thing that Jesus told Nicodemus when he was trying to explain faith and being born again to him. He said, you see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. And you believe that there is a wind even if you can't see it. Jesus says to his friend, Pete, as he's looking at the wind and the effects of the wind and beginning to sink and cries out, Lord, save me. Uh, That's where we get the best news. Uh, Jesus stays with us through our doubts. Jesus, it says in verse 31, immediately. Love that word immediately. It gives a sense of like he didn't just stand there. (sighs) Pete, you look like you're in trouble. Yeah, you're drowning. Like this is literally drowning. You're drowning right now. No, when Peter, by faith, asked Jesus to call him out, he came. When Peter, by faith, or excuse me, in doubt, stopped having faith, he had enough faith in that doubting moment to say, Jesus, save me. And Jesus, in that moment, said, come on, bud. Reached out his hand and took hold of him. He he didn't miss the moment to teach. What's he say? Oh, you of what? Now, this is so interesting that he says it this way. He doesn't say no faith. You ever, you ever notice that? You faithless, you know, spawn. What, what, I mean, he doesn't, he, he says, oh, you of how much? And it gives us this picture of this, like, continuum of doubt and faith. In this moment, uh, almost all of you is doubting, and you've just got a little faith. In other moments, like just a second ago, all of you was faithing. And he had just a little doubt. If it's you, Lord, call me out on the ways, right? But Jesus knows that we're going to get to these places of little faith. And in those little faith moments, he comes to us. And sure, he wants us to learn from those moments. He wants us to ask the question, why did I doubt? What happened in this storm that was different from the others that would lead me away from my faith? He wants us to wrestle with the results of the storm. But he's there with us. Look, I love verse 32 as we close. It says, and it's just so matter-of-factly. 
Like this incredible miracle is happening. Huge storm, Jesus walks on water, Pete joins them, Pete sinks, Jesus pulls out. And here's how we close. And when they got back to the boat, the storm or the wind ceased. The end. <laughs> when you got back to the boat, how, don't miss that. Jesus pulls you out and then he holds your hand and he walks you back to the safety of life with him. Jesus got in that boat, we can assume, right? I don't think he walked back across the lake. He hung out with the fellas. And like he had done six chapters before this in Matthew 8, that's probably what propelled Pete's faith. He had already seen a storm. Jesus and him had already been in one, same lake. And Jesus had been sleeping in this one. Anybody remember that story? And all of the disciples are freaking out like they were in this one. And they said, Jesus, do you want us to die? And Jesus is like rubbing the sleep out of his eyes and he's like, what's your problem? And he said it to all the guys in that story in Matthew 8. Oh, you of little faith. Then he calms the storm. It's probably that experience. Those reps. They got Peter to the point where he's stepping out of a perfectly good boat. Right? Peter had seen this all before. But even though he had had that initial faith, doubt still came in and Jesus rescued him from that next layer, that next level, that next experience of doubt. And he brought him back to the boat. And then my favorite part is, is he stops the storm one more time. You know what one of my mom's favorite sayings is? This too shall pass. Somebody notice that about storms? They stop. Or at least the effects of them lessen. Are you with me? And the question is, is when we're facing them, when the unknown comes, which side of the coin are we going to choose? Will it be faith or will it be doubt? Even as we doubt, will we doubt in a way that longs for faith? It's like the, the father of the demoniac who is, you know, hurting himself. He came to Jesus and said, can you heal my son? If you will. And he says, if you can. And Jesus says, if I can. What do you mean, if I can? It's a faith question. Do you believe I can or not? And the man says to him, I believe. But then he says, help my unbelief. This is the Christian life, people. I believe, but I can't in this situation and I need your help. Show me the way, lead me. Through my doubt, to this faith. And your praise will ever be on my lips. Will you stand with us as we sing?